welcome to the Homes Politicast. I'll be your host today. Hope everyone's having a magnificent day. Uh, my day, my week has been decent. Nothing to brag about, but nothing worth complaining about here. Sharing um, a lot of and 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 a lot of great things going on. Um, not a whole lot to talk about today. We have a few issues that I'll get to, but. Uh, we have, we're starting the countdown to Independence Day, my favorite time of the year. And in fact, next week's show, Independence Day is going to be on a Sunday. It's not this Sunday, but it's the Sunday afterwards. So next week's show is going to be a very special edition for Independence Day. Uh, I think you'll all really enjoy it. Uh, unless, of course, some big news breaks. If that happens, then then I'll have to, I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in on that. But Typically, not a whole lot happens on Independence Day. Um, oddly enough, I don't know, like Christmas, Independence Day, nothing really seems to happen in the world. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, it's just weird. Um, but nothing really usually happens right in the United States, for sure, on those holidays. It's like the whole nation takes a break, uh, you know. But um, anyway, I just want to say real quick, as relates to Independence Day, that um, it looks like Joe Biden's going to miss his goal of a 70% vaccination rate by Independence Day. But at this point, I don't think it matters. I mean, I mean, it matters politically because honestly, let's, let's just be honest here. Joe Biden has not been having a good couple of weeks here. It's, it's really, uh, He's really hit a downturn. He was doing really well. I'm talking about in the face of the media and everything. I'm not I'm not saying that I particularly think he was doing fantastic. But, I mean, he was hitting his goals, you know, uh, getting people vaccinated, getting America opened up again. You know, he got his uh, American Rescue Plan passed through Congress. I mean, it was – it seemed like um, we were doing pretty good. And then Kamala Harris had her debacle in Guatemala and Mexico. And it's just been a bad couple of weeks for, uh, for the Biden administration. Like, you know, they're not hitting their goal here. We didn't, he didn't really have any large, uh, successes in his summits overseas, even with Vladimir Putin. He didn't, you know, I mean, I, I we don't know what he talked about. I think it's kind of odd that Nikki Haley and many other Republicans are already talking about what a failure Biden was and how he gave away so much and all this. Nothing's even been written. We don't know what was discussed behind closed doors. And there's no there's not any treaties or anything that's been written. So we really don't know if he gave everything away or or if it was a disaster. Um, I mean, we really don't. It's premature. It's just a talking point. that They're already trying to get in people's minds that it was a disaster so that when it does come out, they can continue to repeat that, and hopefully the propaganda will stick in and people will, you know, um, because voters, both liberal and conservative, many of them are low-info voters. They believe what they're told, and if they hear a lie long enough, they believe it. And so that's what both parties try to do now is they try to spend things ahead of time to get it into your mind so that because most people aren't going to read the treaty when it comes out. They're not going to read it for themselves. They're going to base it on what MSNBC tells them or what Fox News tells them or Newsmax or CNN or 
whatever, uh, or progressive news, or whatever whatever news media they get their news from, they'll tell them what to think. They'll tell them this was a great thing for America, or they'll tell them this was a disaster for America, and no one's going to pull out the bill or the treaty and read it themselves. They're just going to say, oh, well, you know, Newsmax said it was a failure, or Fox News said it was a failure, or MSNBC said it was a great success. And that's what they'll repeat to everybody. Like, oh, no, it was a great, it was a great summit, you know, or it was a disaster. So, <clears throat> so anyway, the, uh, <coughs> but there was nothing outstanding that came out of the summit. It may not have been bad. It may not have been good. I don't know. But nothing outstanding came out. And now his infrastructure bill is falling apart, as is his voting rights bill. Um, so it's just been a really bad couple of weeks for Biden and his administration. So that's the only reason I bring it up that he hasn't had, you know, that he's not, that he's going to miss his mark because it's just yet another thing that, that, uh, <clears throat> Biden is, is where it looks like he's really struggling, you know, um, you know, at the end of the day, we'll be able to look and see how badly this all was, but PR wise, it's just, it's not very good. And of course the newness is worn off. And that was a big thing that Biden was writing on is that a lot of people in Washington, Republicans and Democrats were happy that Trump was gone. So he wrote a lot of success. You know, everyone was really rooting for him and even maybe in the media and, and even a lot of, uh, uh, the American people, the public, were, were just ecstatic, as we usually are with the new administration. You know, Americans are patriots, and they're very patriotic, and they want to support the new president. And, you know, and, um, you know, but now that's worn off. Now he's just the president. He's not, not Donald Trump. He's the president of the United States. So now they're a lot more critical. Like, well, we don't like this. We don't like that. You know, before it was, well, we'll show them that, that Trump was a bad president. We'll get this package passed or we're going to make sure we get people vaccinated or because we want to show up Donald Trump. Well, now he's just the president, so no one really cares. So he's having some real problems now as the actual president getting some stuff done. I'm not saying this is permanent, but I'm just saying the newness has worn off and now he's, you know, we're seeing his ability to bring people together is not as strong as he thought it was. Because in the beginning, people were coming together because this is an administration we can work with, unlike the previous one. But now it's like they're not they're not thinking in those terms. They're thinking more in their own interest or in their constituents or for the country or something. So he's just really had a bad, bad couple of weeks. So we'll see how that continues, if he can turn things around here pretty soon. And he's going to have to, honestly, because they don't have a lot of time before the midterms and they're dangerously close to losing a majority in the house and maybe the Senate. If that happens, then, uh, then we won't, um, then they won't be able to get anything done. So, <clears throat> so anyway, there's, there's that whole thing with, uh, and, 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 and uh, on a related note, I don't, at this point, if a person's not been vaccinated, I don't think they have any intention of getting vaccinated. I don't think there's anything you can do now that is going to convince people 
to go out and get vaccinated. I mean, the, the country's opening up here in Michigan. We're opening up again. You know, New York's opening up. California's opening up. You know, most of the states are already open or they're in the process of opening up. Um, you know, I, I don't, <clears throat> most people don't see this as being a priority anymore. And uh, I, I think if you haven't been vaccinated at this point, you're not going to. I mean, you know, there might be one or two. I'm not I'm not saying that absolutely nobody will get vaccinated now. But I'm just saying for the most part, you know, they've had the vaccinations are free. It's not like you have to pay for them. They're they're offering all kinds of things. Broadway tickets. Uh, you know, if you're a stoner, they're offering free joints to anyone who gets vaccinated. They're Krispy Kreme's offering donuts. I mean, I mean, they're they're offering all kinds of things for people to get vaccinated. If you haven't been by now. I don't see what suddenly would be the big urge to go out and get vaccinated. You know, so I, I think they should just give up on this idea of trying to get people vaccinated. I mean, it's their own choice at this point. I mean, it's always been their own choice, but, but, you know, um, anyway, I just, I, I just think they just need to drop the whole, let's try to set goals to get people vaccinated by. And then we also have, the vice president is going to be here in Michigan and Detroit this weekend trying to promote vaccinations. Again, I don't understand what why there's a big push to try to get people vaccinated. I don't understand it. I know that the reason she's going to Detroit, I know this is true because of other things I've read, so they haven't said this publicly, but it's because um, – Black people are much likely or less likely to be vaccinated than white people. Um, and they are the ones who are proportionally, or at least in the statistics we've seen over the last year, they have a higher rate of COVID um, deaths <clears throat> for whatever reason. And, um, you know, we talked about that last year, how odd that was that black people are more likely to get COVID and more likely to die of it. Than white people, um, which I found to be fascinating, not not in a happy way, but just interesting. Like I found that kind of fascinating. Like why would a disease strike primarily one race? So, but black people are less likely to get the vaccination because they're less likely to trust the government. I know that that flies in the face of a lot of Republican doctrine. That, but the truth is. Black people have predominantly been the victims of government abuse. Um, <clears throat> they, and, and, and you just, if you want to think about vaccinations, you look at the um, in the uh, Tuskegee case of the airmen, black airmen, who were infected with syphilis and other things under the disguise of vaccinations, and they were given diseases so that scientists could study um, how diseases worked in people and then how can we create vaccines for those diseases by seeing how it affected black people and how it uh, and how it traveled through their system and things like this and that's just one of many many cases and I'm not going to go into all of them right now but there are many cases where black people were used as guinea pigs for certain cancers where the government injected them with things to test them, to to use them as, as, like I said, guinea pigs. You infect them with something, and then you try to infect them with vaccinations to see if you can cure it. 
and other things. Um, or I guess those aren't vaccinations, but giving them shots to try to cure it and things. Uh, so black people are a lot more hesitant to go down and get a jab from the government for fear that we don't know what's in this and we don't know what the purpose is. And they may be giving us something different than they're giving the white folks. You know, they might be giving, you know, us something different to test us. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of fear. And so I know that's why she's going to Detroit, um, you know, and they're sending her and not Biden because uh, they're hoping that black people will take the word of, of a black woman as the vice president of the United States saying, hey, it's safe. You could do this. But, um, you know, so I understand what they're what they're trying to do. I just. But I, I don't I don't think at this point you're going to win a lot of converts. People who haven't got the vaccine have reasons for not wanting to get it. It's not because it's too expensive. It's not because it's too hard to get. It's not because it's painful. It's not, you know, um, they're not getting them because they don't believe in them or they, you know, they, they think that COVID is a hoax or they don't think these are effective or they don't know what is going to happen if they get the, the, or the vaccine. You know, there's a, a number of reasons why people aren't getting them. And I don't think at this point you're really going to win over their hearts and minds. I, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to get them. So you may as well just write them off. I mean, I don't mean write them off like let them die, but I just mean quit trying to win them over. You just say, okay, well, we're just going to accept that some people aren't going to get it and drop it. It's still available if they change their mind, but we're not going to try to entice people, bribe them, uh, force them, whatever. If they're not going to get it, they're not going to get it. So um, I, I just think they should they should just stop the the uh, the push for vaccinations. It just, you know, like I said, it just, it just seems like it's a losing issue. You know, why keep trying to push these things, push these things when people don't want them or those people don't want them. Um, let's see here. Uh, they yesterday, or at least just the time I'm recording this, they just had the price. Uh, I, I don't know what the word is, the past tense for the, but a primary, I don't know if the word's primordial, primarial, I don't know, um, election for the mayor of New York City. Um, and um, sorry about that. All of a sudden, uh, my machine started going wild and repeating information that I out loud. I don't know if you heard that, but anyway, this has just been, it's been a day. Um, but it, anyway, uh, Andrew Yang conceded. Um, he just, you know, he ran for president in 2020. Uh, I don't really know a whole lot about him. I think he's some kind of a billionaire or something. I don't know. Entrepreneur, tech giant, something. I, I really don't know his backstory. To be honest with you, I didn't, I wondered why on earth he ran for New York City mayor. I thought that was very odd as soon as he ran for president. But he, I, I, I would be upset if I was him. And this is the same thing that happened to Hillary Clinton. It's the same thing that happened to Beto O'Rourke. It seems to happen a lot, well, uh, among the Democratic side, but it did happen to Scott Walker. Uh, he ran for president in 2016. 
and it very well could happen to Ron DeSantis as well, uh, where you have people who convince you that you should run for office, and they're all like, you're the only one who can win. You're the only one who could beat you know, the other side. We want you. And then you run, <coughs> and then everyone – and then so other people start running, and then they, they turn on you, and we're like, well, we like this other guy better. You're the one who told me to run. You're the one who convinced me I was the only one who could do this. I wasn't even planning to run until you came to me and told me everyone wants you. You're a shoe-in. You could do this. So, you know, that happened to all these different candidates. Uh, Hillary Clinton actually got the nomination in 2016. But but this is – I'm talking about in 2008 when she ran against Barack Obama. She was told that she was a shoe-in. And then Barack Obama ran, and everyone's like, ooh, we like Barack Obama. Forget Hillary Clinton. And, you know, then she's just stuck out there running a campaign that nobody really wants. And everyone, you know, and everyone criticizes her, like, why is she running? Nobody wants, you know, and that's what happened with Andrew Yang here. He ran for mayor because everyone told him, man, this is, you're a shoe. And all the polls show that you'll win in a landslide. So he runs for, and he comes in fourth place because nobody actually wants him. But for some odd reason, they were all telling him that you'd be great. So I'm always weary. I would be very weary if I was a politician and everyone started telling me I need to run for something. Um, I'm only going to run for something if I believe that, number one, if it's if it's something I believe in and I really want to make a difference. Um, I start to say, number two, if I know I can win, but that's not necessarily true. Because there are times that I'm, I might run for an office that I know I can't win um, to try to set things up for a future election or to try to change the narrative. You know, so if I knew somebody was, was going to get the nomination, but I want to be a spoiler or if I wanted to – if I thought they were too – we'll just say they, they were too um, – uh, I'll just say pro-choice. And I wanted to try to move them more to the right on that issue. I might run from the right on on a anti-abortion platform. That's my only thing. I know I'm not going to win, but I'm only running on this one issue to force the other candidates to move more to the right on the position and take a more right-wing approach on abortion. So I, I can't say that I would only run if I know I can win because there might be some issues that I might want to be addressed that they're not talking about, or I'm, it might be a trial run. You know, I want to find out where my weaknesses are so that if I run again in four years or two years or whatever the position is, then I know where my weaknesses are and where I need to, um, you know, what I need to uh, work on as a candidate, <coughs> you know, whether it's fundraising or messaging or, you know, Things like that, I might run even though I'm pretty sure I won't be able to win, but it'll be helpful in the long run that I'll know. But it has to be something I believe in. I don't want anybody telling me you're going to you know, <clears throat> run for this House seat or run for the mayoral seat. Everyone's saying you're going to win, and then I run, and then everyone just leaves me out to dry because they find somebody they like better. And it's like and I'm just standing here like, what? you're the one who told me to run. I didn't want this job. You know? I didn't really want this job. I was doing it because everyone told me that they needed me here, that they wanted me here, that 
you know, that we need you to take this position because otherwise so-and-so will have it or otherwise, whatever. We need you. You need to do this for your city or your state or your country or whatever. And then I run and then everyone says, ah, we don't really like you. I'm like, well, then what did you tell me to run for? But he ran a horrible campaign, if anyone's following it. Of course, New York City politics is very different. Number one, it's a lot tougher than most politics, maybe not the presidential race. But also, they get off on really weird things, like like really weird issues in New York. They're so proud of their city that, you know, they'll have, you know, the questions, like legitimate questions in the debate will be questions like, what's your favorite bagel? And what borough in New York City do you enjoy most? Or, you know, um, you know, what, you know, if you were to take the subway from, you know, from Times Square to Coney Island, like what, you know, how, what, what subway, you know, what route would you take? You know, uh, you know, stuff like that. Things that the average person out here in the real world looks at and like, what on earth? Why would you care? But I mean, to them, that's like authentic New York, you know, do you like the, the, the Mets or the, or the Yankees, you know, um, there's a huge rivalry and, and whichever one you choose, you know, you're going to, you're going to piss off the other side. You know, like if you say you're a Mets fan, then the Yankees fans are going to hate you and vice versa. So, I mean, you know, if you like this particular kind of bagel that tells them who you are, what kind of person you are, and you know, and I mean, there's just all these little things that, you know, uh, are just weird in New York. And so if you run there and you expect that you're going to run on issues, you're sadly mistaken because um, the issues are important, but they also right up there with what are you going to do about crime is, you know, what kind of bagel are you going to eat? Or, you know, do you think the Yankees should have been in the world, you know, in the world series or something? And, you know, did they get robbed and, and how exactly, what do you think was the problem? And, you know, uh, you know, and just weird things like that. And Andrew Yang was just completely had no idea. He was out of his element. Like I kept seeing these things where, he tried to answer the question about bagels and, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, he just kept making mistakes all the way through because he doesn't really live in New York. I mean, he has a house there or has a place there, but, but, you know, he spent the last year and a half running for president and, you know, and, and he's a billionaire. So he, he lives all over the place. He doesn't just have a place in um, New York. So, you know, he doesn't ride the subway. He doesn't, you know, uh, you know, so he doesn't have bagels every morning and, you know, and, 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 and shop at bodegas, uh, you know, um, you know, so that, that's the thing is, so for him, he was really out of his element and he just ran a horrible, horrible campaign. And then, you know, uh, and then he, <laughs> on like national pet day, he showed a picture of his dog and then, with the caption, then he said, you know, this is my, this is my dog, which we had to give away, um, you know, but I miss you, buddy, and all this other stuff. I mean, it just, it, it was just ridiculous pandering to an audience and, um, you know, and then, and then he made a couple of errors in the, in the debate about at one point they were talking about the homeless problem and, and how it related to mental illness and, and he said, well, we need to get the homeless off the streets because, yes, they have rights, but so do we. And we shouldn't have to be 
she didn't have to have to see them on the streets and you know and and that a lot of people who visit new york aren't going to want to come back because homeless beggars and things like that are out there and it just it it just sounded really callous and it might not have been so bad in a general election but he's talking to bleeding heart liberals who are concerned about the rights of 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 these homeless people in this and so then he comes out and says basically I don't care about these homeless people I want them gone because they look bad for New York and you know it just it it just was tone deaf when you're talking to bleeding heart liberals I mean we talked about this a couple weeks ago with the pride parade and things I mean New York is very very ultra liberal I mean that is not a place where you want to sound harsh in a democratic primary, you don't want to sound like you don't care about people and their needs, and you just, you know, you're dismissive. That I, I, I'm, I'm much more concerned with the economy of New York than I am with the homeless people. Get them off the street because tourists aren't going to want to shop in New York if there's homeless people. Like I said, that might work in a general election, but that's not going to work in a primary. So anyway, it just, I, I just feel kind of bad for the guy. I mean, he ran just such a horrible campaign. And he was in way over his head. I, I just, I just don't understand why he ran. It came in fourth, and and I don't know. I, New York is just so weird. Um, and I normally don't follow New York City politics, but but it's just a disaster. New York City's mayors have been a disaster. I'm not a big fan of Rudy Giuliani now. I think, well, I'm just going to stay out of that of what I think of Rudy Giuliani today. But Giuliani was a great mayor of New York back in the day. And I think he was the last great mayor New York City has had. And might be the last Republican mayor they're going to have for a long time. Because one of the things that we've had is polarization in this country, which is so weird that we've gotten to a point where parties are um, they're writing off portions of the country because Cities and states have become so polarized. I don't think we're going to have another Republican mayor of New York City anytime soon. The Republicans are more than likely not going to win in California anytime soon. I mean, everything's liberal in California. It's going to be really hard for a Republican to win in California, either in the presidential race or in the statewide elections. Uh, you know, you're not going to have a Democrat elected in Wyoming or North Dakota or South Dakota. You know, um, you know, Detroit is going to be Democrat. It, it, you're not going to have a Republican elected mayor of Detroit or Chicago. Uh, you know, there are very few areas where the two parties are competitive. There was a time when, you know, Ronald Reagan ran and he won California and he won New York for the presidency. And he was right wing. I mean, we're not he's not some, you know, um, you know, liberal Republican. He was very I'm not saying far right, but he was conservative. And he was able to win California. You had Pete Wilson, who was Republican governor of California in the 90s. You had Rudy Giuliani, who was a Republican mayor of New York City. In the 90s, you know, in the uh, even up through the, the 60s and 70s, you had 
Democratic governors and Democratic senators from North Dakota and South Dakota and Nebraska and Kansas. And, you know, you had Democratic mayor or Democratic governors, uh, not often, but occasionally. Um, in the South, you had, you know, you would have Democratic governors of Alabama and Mississippi and, you know, and, uh, you know, there would be a lot, you know, every state was competitive. Sometimes it'd be Republican, sometimes it'd be Democrat. It would go back and forth. Uh, you know, as far as the senators and the and the um, governors, you know, you you would see it competitive. It's just it just it was a matter of that time. It just it wasn't a good time for Republicans. But in eight or twelve years, the Republicans were able to regain control in that state or that city. And same thing with Democrats in these Republican areas. But now you have very few states that are competitive. You almost always know how Alabama is going to vote. Alabama is going to vote Republican, no doubt. Mississippi is going to vote Republican, except for the little debacle uh, in Georgia in the Senate race. Um, and there were reasons for this. Uh, Georgia is Republican. It's a Republican state. Uh, you know, so is Wyoming. So is the Dakotas. So is most of the Midwest uh, is Republican. And then on the left coast or on the west coast, I guess you could call it the left coast. Uh, Washington State, Oregon, um, California on the East Coast, Maine, Massachusetts, uh, New York, Connecticut, you know, those states, they're all very liberal. And Republicans don't have a chance in those states. You know, Florida is pretty conservative. Uh, they came close to electing a Democrat for governor against DeSantis, but, but, uh, but you know they're they're pretty conservative as far as a state. Uh, you know it almost always goes Republican in the uh, presidential race and in the governor's races, in the Senate too. You know so it's just it's just odd. <coughs> and I was just thinking about that today that how we now have areas that you're writing off if you're Republican. You don't bother campaigning in New York. You don't bother campaigning in California or Washington State. You know you don't. You, you know you don't go to the the uh, New England states. You campaign in the heartland. You campaign in the South and in the heartland. You know that's where you're going to get your votes is in those states. If you're a Democrat, West Coast, New England. You know those are the states that you're going to want to campaign in because you're going to get a majority of your voters from those states. You're not going to waste time in Iowa and Kansas and Nebraska and, you know, in Missouri and Arkansas and, you know, and all that, um, you know, we're, we're used to in the days of Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon, they campaigned, they had a 50 state strategy. They campaigned in all 50 states uh, because you don't know what states are going to flip. You don't know, you know, what states you can get your turnout in because that made a difference is the turnout. And if you didn't show up in those states, then people aren't going to turn out to support you if you write them off. Where now, it's just a given. You just don't. You're not going to waste campaign resources, time, and money in states that you know you're not going to win, or in cities. You're not. Republicans aren't going to campaign in New York City. They're not going to campaign in Chicago. You know, they're not going to campaign in Los Angeles. They're just not going to, because those cities are going to go Democrat. So there's no point in even wasting time. And I don't even know if they bother nominating a Republican in those states, I mean, or in those cities. I mean, it's pretty much just a waste of time because you know the Democrats are going to win. 
So it's just an interesting phenomenon that's happened recently, you know, that, I mean, and I say recently, you know, I mean, it's been over about 40 years. I mean, except, well, at least since the 90s, but it's become increasingly worse since the 90s for the past 20 years where it, it seems like almost like people are gravitating to where they know that that people believe the same thing they do. So if you're a Republican, you leave states like California, you leave states like Washington, you go to Texas, you go to Alabama, you go to the, you know, the Midwest. If you live in Texas and you're a Democrat, you leave Texas and you go to California, you go to, you know, New York, you go, you know, it's almost like people are going where they know their own kind is to use that term, you know, um, you know, if I'm a Democrat, I don't want to live in a red state. I don't like what they do. I don't like, what, you know, so I'm going to move to a more liberal state. And if you're a Republican living in a liberal state, you're going to move to a red state where people there, the government is going to reflect more of your values and your most. So I, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I mean, I don't, I don't know how that is going to be for the future is what I mean. I, you know, are we going to become up to a point where, you know, we only, we, we really only have elections in five states, really, essentially, because every other state is already tapped in, so there's no real point in going there. So you only have like five states that are swing states, and those are the only ones you campaign in. You put all of your chips in those five states because a Republican doesn't need to advertise in Kansas. You know you're going to win Kansas. So why bother buying airtime in Kansas? Why bother going to visit Kansas? You know, um, you know, you just need to go to Ohio and Michigan and Pennsylvania and, um, you know, and, and maybe a couple more. But I'm just saying, you know, and same thing with the Democrats, you know, no point in spending money in California or New York or anything like that. You just go to Michigan and Ohio, because if you can win those states, then you can then you can win the presidency. I don't know. It's just it, it's just something that I've never seen before, and part of it is because we have we're much more transient today. You know, back in the 1800s, I mean, you know, when you had covered wagons and things, you, you know, you're going to stay where you live and you're going to fight for what you believe in and where you live. You're not going to travel halfway across the country, take over, you know, almost a year to travel from Virginia to California just because you don't like the governor in Virginia. I mean, you know. You're not going to do that. But now, with all the inventions we have and the technology, if you don't like the politics in Virginia, if it just continues to vote against the way you like, then you can just move. You know, well, I'm just moving to Cal. I'm just moving to, to Texas or something. I'll move, you know, to Tennessee, somewhere where, you know, I like their governor. I like what they're doing. I like their views on education. I like their views on abortion. I like their views on, you know, on whatever. And so we'll go there because that's where I want to raise my family in a state that believes the same things I do. You know, I, I kind of think that's the reason. Um, but I don't know. It's just never happened before, and I just don't know what that means for the future. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, more talk about Trump running in 2024. I don't know. I personally don't think he will. I think. But it keeps him relevant. It's the same thing that Hillary Clinton did for years. Uh, she wouldn't say if she was going to run again. She ended up running again. But one of the reasons why she didn't is because as long as she 
wouldn't say, the press covered her. Otherwise, she's just a private citizen. And no one really cared what Hillary Clinton had to say. And I know I know, I can already hear the arguments that nobody cared what Hillary Clinton had to say anyway. But I'm talking about the media and things. So if, if Hillary Clinton gave a speech you know, in, you know, to Wall Street, the media would show up and they'd cover it because she might be a candidate. So they want to cover her and what she has to say. But if she if she said, I'm not going to run for office again, I'm done, I'm retired, and she goes to give a speech, no one cares what she has to say. It'd be the same as I want to give a speech. The press isn't going to come, come and cover it. You know, if if I'm speaking at my church on Sunday, if I'm asked to speak, the press isn't going to show up. But if I announce I'm running for president of the United States and I was giving a speech at a church, probably not my church because my church preaches the gospel and they don't they don't bring in politicians to give speeches there. But we'll just presume for argument that my church is like some of those churches that will bring in politicians to speak. If I was speaking at my church, then then the press would show up because this is a presidential candidate giving an address to, uh, you know, to religious people. And they're going to cover it. So, um, you know, so that's what I mean. Like, so for years, Hillary Clinton would be coy about whether she'd run again because it kept her in the public eye. And when she came out and endorsed a candidate or if she had anything, a speech or or she wanted to take a position on on police brutality, let's say, you know, a, a black kid gets shot and she wants to have a say in it, then then her words merited conversation because you know she she's she's a probable candidate at some point whereas um otherwise she'd be just like me doing this podcast i mean we have some viewers but we don't have you know but but the national press isn't monitoring this podcast to talk about it on you know fox news tucker carlson is going to talk about it rachel maddow is not going to talk about what we're talking about here because i'm not a candidate for anything i'm not really of any significance and that's what I'm thinking about Donald Trump is as long as he remains coy and there's a chance he'll run again, the press covers the things. The press covered him when he went to CPAC uh, last month. They played it on some stations, not a lot of them, but some stations played it. But they did monitor it and they showed clips of it. They didn't play it live, like MSNBC didn't play it live, but they monitored it and they talked about it later and they showed clips of it. But, you know, but the reason was because he, might be a candidate in four years. You know, George W. Bush gives speeches. Barack Obama gives speeches. They get paid speeches all the time around the country. Bill Clinton used to. I don't know if he still does. But the press never covered them because they're no longer candidates. They're not, what they have to say is no longer of national importance. So I think that's why he's remaining coy. Is because as long as he does that, the press still talks about him because he's a potential candidate. Um. But this this idea that he's going to be reinstated in August is just absolute lunacy. I mean, it's just absolute lunacy. And Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, continues to spread this. Of course, he said that Trump was going to be reinstated in August. Now he said it might be September or October. I mean, they're just going to keep pushing this back because there's no truth to it. He's not going to get reinstated anyway. Number one, they haven't been able to really... Uh, everything's been farcical. All these audits and recounts have just been farcical. Like in Arizona now, they couldn't, the whole idea of bamboo uh, ballots that were printed in China and and Italian satellites, which were changing 
you know, changing the, the Dominion servers and, you know, Hugo Chavez in Venezuela, you know, rigging the voting machines, you know, all this nonsense. It's just ridiculous anyway. And now Arizona audits have taken all the ballots and hidden them in a cabin in Montana and won't let anybody look at them. Well, we have proof of voter fraud, but we're not going to show it to you. You're going to have to take our word for it. You can't see the evidence, but just trust us. We found evidence, you know. And of course, a lot of good it's doing in a cabin in Montana. I don't know what they think that's going to accomplish. If they found evidence and they're not going to release it, they're just going to hide it in a cabin. I don't know what the point of that whole audit was then, if they're not going to do anything with it. But anyway, it's just a grifting thing that I'm not saying Donald Trump's involved with, but people like Mike Lindell and everything, they're raising money off this kind of stuff. They're getting, you know, and they have to keep the grift going, convince these low info voters that, um, that it's coming, change is coming. There is no provision in our constitution to reinstate anybody. Once, once you've left office, you're done. Uh, there is no provision because the founders did not anticipate voter fraud. Uh, it's very similar to prior to the Civil War. There is no provision for states to leave the Union. It was assumed that anybody who, any state that joined the Union would want to stay in the United States of America. They don't have an exit clause in case a state decides, well, we changed our mind. You know, um, you know, the founders uh, believed in the goodness of people, inherent goodness, and they, you know, there's no provision for what to do if the president's a crook except impeachment. And impeachment is a political instrument, as we saw, as we saw many Republicans repeating the last two impeachments of Donald Trump. Many of them said, we think Donald Trump was wrong. We think what he did may have even been illegal, but the, the impeachment is not to go after a president for, for crimes. I mean, only crimes against the United States. You know, it's a political thing. You can't impeach a president just because, you know, he has bad judgment or you know, they said that about Bill Clinton. You can't impeach a president just because he lied to the people about having an affair. You, you know, yeah, lying's wrong. It's immoral. And it shouldn't happen. A president should not be lying to the public. But that's not what impeachment is for. Impeachment is not for lying. It doesn't rise to the level. Because the founders assumed that every person who got elected would be honorable, decent human beings. And that the people would vet these would vet the candidates and not vote for someone who's a crook or a liar or, you know, anything like this. And that the ramification would be if they run for re-election that you'd vote them out. So impeachment was only for these really high crimes and misdemeanors. I mean, the bar is very high. And so that that's my point is that, you know, the founders did not anticipate there being widespread voter fraud. And I'm not, I'm not taking position on whether there was widespread voter fraud or not. I'm just saying, that even if it is proven that there was widespread voter fraud, there is no um, there is no provision in the Constitution to unelect somebody. There's no provision to, you know, to reinstate a candidate or to instate a candidate who got it stolen from them. There's there's no provision for that. You know, um, the Congress, the Electoral College confirmed Biden as president. The Congress certified Biden as president. He's the legitimate president, even if he was elected illegitimately. He's the legitimate president because he was confirmed by the two institutions 
They were created to make sure that a president doesn't become president who's, you know, who's involved with some kind of fraud. The Electoral College will see the first top gap, and if they don't catch it, then it's then it goes to the Senate is supposed to stop that. And and neither one of them did. So Biden's the president. The only way you can get rid of Biden is to impeach him. But according to both Democrats and Republicans, when Clinton was impeached and Donald Trump was impeached, there has to be an actual crime that he committed, not that supporters committed, not that Dominion committed, not that, you know, um, Biden himself would have to have stolen the election himself in order for him to be impeached and removed from office. And there's no allegation or any evidence that Biden was involved in any fraud. So that's the only way you could get rid of Biden is to impeach him. But according to the Constitution, if you impeach Biden, then Kamala Harris becomes president. You know, there's a, a succession. At no point does it say if the president is impeached, then the guy who ran against him automatically becomes president. That's not true. It goes down the list of the succession. The vice president becomes president. If the vice president is impeached, then the secretary of state becomes president. Or the, not the secretary of state, the speaker of the house becomes president. It goes down the line. There's a whole succession right down to the very last person in the cabinet. There is no way that they could make Donald Trump president. Um, just absolutely no way. It, it would just keep going down the list. But of course, you wouldn't be able. Uh, you you know you can't impeach Nancy Pelosi for just being Nancy Pelosi. She would have to commit a crime because she wouldn't have anything to do with the fraud in the country. So there'd be nothing to impeach her over. You might be able to impeach Harris as being part of the cabal, but you know it would be a disaster for the country, but there's nothing you could do. She'd be the legitimate president at that point based on the rules of succession. So there's absolutely no way to reinstall Trump. But most of these – not all Trump supporters. I'm not, I'm not saying Trump supporters themselves are dumb. But I'm saying this particular sect – of Trump supporters that Mike Lindell is talking to are have probably never read the Constitution. They don't, you know, they're not going to pull up the Constitution to read it. They're going to base it on what they're told that, you know, just like I said before about a lot of low info voters on Republican and Democratic side who just believes what they're told and they've never actually opened a book. You know, they don't know what capitalism is. They don't know what socialism is. You know, they don't know. They say we hate capitalism. They have no idea what capitalism is. A lot of these Democrats, a lot of these young Democrats have no idea what capitalism is. They, you know, and and there are some people, not really many that I know, but there are, but there are many that I've seen on TV who don't know what socialism is. They'll decry socialism, but have no idea what it is. Oh, it's, you know, it's that horrible thing that, that you know. The communists have and all that. You know, well, there's a difference between communism and socialism, and you know, you don't really understand what socialism is. So my my point is that there is no way to reinstate a president once he's out of office. The only way to rectify that is to change the law so that the election can't be stolen in the future, and Donald Trump would have to run again and be elected. You know, and and be able to make the case that. You know, I deserve a second term because it was stolen from me and the people would have to agree. So, but this is all just part of a grift that people like Michael Lindell are pulling. They're making money off of this. They're getting lots of publicity and, and just keeping a certain amount of anger going, hoping that that anger will rise up in the midterms and in four years that people will be so angry that they'll come out and vote out 
what they would call the democratic scum. That's really what this is about. There's there's no proof, and, and it'll just keep changing, just like they claim that Biden wasn't going to get inaugurated on January 20th, then when he was inaugurated, oh, well, March 4th. That March 4th, uh, Trump will be reinstated as president, and then March 4th came and went, and now it's August he'll be reinstated, and then you know, now he's saying, well, it might be October. It's just going to keep moving on and on. They're just going to keep moving the goalpost, you know, to keep the grift going and to try to keep people angry. And that's just a hard thing to do. And we'll see if it's effective. But anyway, next week, Independence Day show. Everyone tune in. Hope everyone has a great week. And, um, you know, just keep, keep, keep it on. Just do what you're doing and have a great time. Bye.